starting in verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, we are uh, humbled to be here in your presence this morning. And God, we, we don't just want to hear a sermon. We don't just want to hang out together, Lord. We want to encounter you. And uh, Jesus, we thank you that you condescended. Father, we thank you for sending your only son. That you, you Jesus, are the word made flesh. God, it's, it, help us to understand that. It's so, such a deep, such a profound thing that happened, Lord. Um, and that now we have your spirit here among us, God. We, we ask for you to move, Holy Spirit. Open up our minds and our hearts to know you. Not to know about you, but to know you this morning, Lord. I pray that you cut away anything that's not from you in each of our hearts and our minds, Lord, and that we would know you more. Uh, change us. Uh, as we pray every week for a church here in uh, Houston, Lord, we pray for CEPC over off I-10. Lord, thank you for just the role they've had in helping us plant um, four years ago. God, thank you for their leadership and their pastors. God, thank you for everybody who are members here, our members there, Lord. We ask for that, that your spirit would continue to fall in that church, Lord, that your word would go out in power, Lord, that you change the community around them, and um, God, that you'd, you'd build your kingdom. Uh, thank you for that church, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, we have something to celebrate even more than, certainly not more than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but even more than the Astros, if you can believe it, and that is uh, something to do with the guy sitting in the front row. Uh, you guys had number four, son number three, the Bakers, Lauren and Austin, H-E-B, Houston Edward Baker is now with us. We just thank God for that. I thought we might see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here, brother. That's impressive. Uh, I hope mama's doing well. Uh, she kicked you out. I thought, I thought that might be the case. Yeah, some peace and quiet. Yeah, from you lot. Good. Well, we celebrate that gift of God and that miracle and uh, can't wait to hold him. Okay, let me start this here. So as I was... As, as Ray had us in the time of confession, just ask the Lord what it is that we need to repent of and that little help where he said something you don't want to let go of. Man, I mean, sometimes, and again, I don't, I don't know this, the Lord. That's one of the reasons I'm offering it up to you, but I really feel like I have some confirmations. One of the ways that I can, you know, we want to offer up what we hear, feel like we hear from the Lord to the community for it to be weighed and also take it back to the word of God, which we know is a sure and true word. So, but I'm immediately, sometimes when I get something that I just wouldn't have thought of, or it's so quick that my brand hasn't even started turning yet, and both of those things happened, and I don't think I have a problem with control, but uh, control came into my head immediately. The second sort of verification, seeming verification, was that Ray then read after we had that time, okay, so we're dealing with, we want to repent of control, and he said two other things, but the first thing was control. So, yeah, Lord, I lay that down, um, and we just as a people want to be in a spirit, if we are yours, of continual repentance, knowing that our identity is not in our performance, it's in Christ, and so we can be a people of continual repentance. But also, um, if you're not in the Lord, we just want to invite you to a place where you can stand in the righteousness of someone else 
who is a, his righteousness is applied to you by faith, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so you can be in a place where you can live open and, and uh, let him change you and move you um, because your, your identity is based in him and his character and in, in what he's done and his law keeping and his uh, paying the price for you on the cross. And so we just want to invite you wherever you are this morning, for, whether it's for the thousandth time or the first time, to come to Jesus Christ. And I pray that, we could, that I could proclaim him now. Um, as I was round, uh, round so oh yeah, let me start here. As I was rounding the bend uh, yesterday on Piney Point, uh, the ch- street name changes so much, it's like variously Blaylock and Fondren, but I think I was on the Piney Point section, about to, about to hit the curve toward, it, it was a Vargo's restaurant decades ago, but now it's like a Vargo's apartment complex. Um, it's near the, the new St. Francis building, and that's sort of the last sort of tucked away nice uh, neighborhood before you get to the wildness, the open, raw wildness of Westheimer. And as I was, I just sort of, I sort of looked in to this little idyllic neighborhood with a Kincaid sign in the front lawn. It's a nice, huge red brick house, and everything's tucked away and beautiful. Um, and I, uh, and then you open up, you round the bend again, and you're heading south, and then Westheimer is is open before you, like the like the open ocean, like you've just discovered the Pacific. Um, and I had the thought that, you know, it's like the more money we have, the more we, it's, it's, it's the thought that occurred to me, this is the last bit of, of, of sort of protection. This wall, this beautiful yard, these houses, there are about three or four of them on this small little, this short cul-de-sac before you open up into the wide world. And the thought occurred to me, which is, it's a truism, but it's, it's a truism for a reason that t- typically, in general, the more money that we have, the more we wall ourselves in and keep out the world as it were, or the more fame we have, or the more well, more well known, um, and the more we tuck ourselves away into a life um, that is behind walls with gardens and fountains and pools, um, and the harder we can be to intend to be to get a hold of. So the more money or fame someone has, typically the more barriers there are between, you, between me or you and that person. They're just harder to reach. Um, and of course, if a person has nothing, it tends to be very easy to reach them. They could literally just be living on the street, and you can go and approach them behind a building or on the street corner whenever you want to. So with very few exceptions, the wealthier, wealthier a man or woman is, the harder he or she is to reach. Um, and we read these opening lines from John's gospel, and in an instant, all that's blown to smithereens. God completely flips the script, irreversibly. Um, these words are the opening salvos of something that uh, is just almost beyond belief, but thank God it's not beyond belief. And I pray that God would help allow us to be scandalized once again, or maybe for the first time by them. And what we see here in this passage, and I really want to focus today on that last verse Nathaniel read, John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But John opens by saying, there is this word who is God, who was with God, through whom all things were made, and he is the light through which we see all things and through which light came in the beginning when God made all things. He is the very word of God. He is the articulation of exactly what God is like, and he is God. And then John says, and he came down among us and offered himself up to us, and opened himself up to us, and became vulnerable. And so I just want to read again John 1.14, which is the verse I'll be preaching for the next few minutes. John says this. He says something just mind-blowing and scandalizing and almost incredible. He says, and the word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. And John is speaking from experience. John was his best friend on earth. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The, the message by Eugene Peterson, who passed away, I think, last year, he did a translation of the whole Bible in sort of today's vernacular. And he translates, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, which is what I want to focus on today. Um, as, and he moved into the neighborhood. God Almighty, through whom all things were made, the most exclusive, had all the wealth, all the knowledge, all the glory, and all the power. He left all that up there, remaining God, and came down to a place of utter weakness and openness. Took down all the walls and said, here I am. And he moved into our neighborhood. Um, And so this week, we are starting just a three-week, what we call a Life Together series. Nathaniel mentioned that we're a church plant And I think all of you that are here probably know this, but just as by way of reminder, we're a church plant and part of a church family in Houston that is seeking to plant churches in Houston to saturate Houston with the body of Christ that his kingdom might go forward, that every man, woman, and child might have multiple chances to know the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and life in him and not life in their own performance, but in his person and in his obedience and in his death in their place and in his resurrection in their place. And so we are, um, as a family of churches, we typically don't do a ton of series that we mandate. We do them together, but this is one of them, and it's every fall for the past few years. It's called Life Together. And so it's just a reminder of the fact that we are one body in the city and really one church with every true church here that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and filled by his spirit um, here in the city. And so that's one of the reasons we pray for a different church every week or try to. Um, so this week is on presence, This first sermon in the series of three is on presence, or parentheses, loving the city. So John 1.14, I can't think of a better. God Almighty took on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. I can't think of a better better verse for this this, um, message. So what I want to do quite simply is just this, two parts to the sermon. I just want to look at not all the phrases. It's not going to be a complete exegesis of the passage, but look at some of the phrases in order focusing on the dwelling part, and then a bunch of application. And so um, I want to start with just, and the word became flesh. Uh, The the word flesh, the Latin translation is carnis, from which we get the Spanish carne. And down here in Texas, even if we don't speak Spanish, that word rings a bell, Um, like chili con carne or queso con carne. It means meat. Um. So basically, it's, John is telling us, in the eternal intelligence, the, the, God, the, God, the God who was with God, the only God who tells us, who articulates the heart of God to us, he shows us and tells us exactly what God is like. He became bones with meat on them. God, push this penny down deeper in our hearts and change us through it this morning. Um, that's the sense of the Greek word. This was written in the Greek, sarks, in this text here. Um, I hope that we're a bit more scandalized. When I use the phrase, um, the eternal word of God uh, put on bones with meat on them. I pray that that's a bit, it jostles us a little bit and stirs us and scandalizes us a bit because the gospel is scandalous. And the fact that 
whatever degree to which we are not scandalized by it is the degree to which we misapprehend and misunderstand it because we hear it so much. And in our sin and in our sleepiness, we tend to, whatever we hear a lot, tend to just kind of go, oh yeah, of course. This is scandalous stuff. Um, If you want to be scandalized by the fact of the incarnation, I want to encourage you for so many reasons. And this is actually one thing that uh, I thought Justin was gonna say and let him say it maybe next week, or, um, but I'll, I'll give you a, a, a teaser now. When, when he came up and, and talked about um, the, uh, the praise of the man just not having staph infection anymore, and we're gonna hopefully keep praying for him until his cancer's gone. Maybe it's receding, maybe it's gone already, I don't know, but we wanna keep pressing into that. But also, last week, same week, uh, we saw, I saw, I've had a relationship with many Muslims. We saw our first Muslim come into the kingdom Last week, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he's on his way of growing in Christ. And so um, that, that was just a wonderful thing, and we continue to walk with him, and hopefully you'll all meet him someday soon. But um, if you want to be scandalized by the fact of the in, do you hear that word, carnation? There's that, there's that carne in there. Um, the incarnation, God taking on flesh and bone. Explain it to a Muslim. Tell the good news of Jesus Christ to a Muslim. Read this passage, walk through a gospel. I really want to encourage you to do that. There are so many around here that you can engage and that you can be praying, Lord, lead me into a relationship with someone. You want, would you like to read a gospel? It's, it's, well, there, it's, it sometimes takes a little more than that, but often not. Um, read this passage with a Muslim. Explain the gospel to a Muslim. It's one of my favorite things is to see their reaction when you, when you explain to them, this is the gospel. We believe that God became man. And their reaction and their being scandalized by the idea that God could become a man is a proper reaction. It's the way that the Jews, the Romans, the, the, the environment and the milieu that John and the other New Testament writers wrote into, the Roman, Greekized, Hellenized milieu in this first century was such that Romans, they were accustomed to the idea of, of supermen, of men of great standing, uh, becoming, being divinized, becoming little g-gods in their, in their worldview. The Jews, no way. The way that the Jews reacted to Jesus when they realized what he was claiming to be equal with God, God himself, the son of God, the father, and they crucified him. This is the way that it hits a Muslim and it ought to be the way that it hits us. It's scandalous. And it's called that in the New Testament. It's called a scandalon. Um, So what does the incarnation that God took on meat and flesh and bone mean? It means, number one, and I want to get through this. It's so important but to, to get to dwelt, which is what I want to focus on before getting to application. But it means this. It means that matter is good. It, it, this is a higher endorsement. The fact that he took on a body like ours and became a man, became a child, a single-celled zygote, grew in his mother's womb, was born just like H-E-B was born, but without a human father without a human father. And so son of God, son of Mary, fully God, fully man, and grew up and was one of us and lived among us. Um, it's a higher endorsement of matter than even the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1 where God says, he, made, he makes everything and he says, it's good, it's good. It's not baser or lesser than spirit, it's good. That is such an endorsement of matter. Jesus comes along and John is taking us back to Genesis by starting John in the same way, in the beginning. In the beginning, not God created, but in the beginning was the word. He's saying this is an even greater endorsement of matter and of creation and of stuff and of our bodies. 
than even the creation, the fact that God took on flesh. Um, so that's the first thing, but how does, that, how does that play out? The entrance of the internal intelligence into our world as a human child, it is the beginning of a new creation, like I just said. That's why John starts the gospel the way he does, taking us back to Genesis. It sounds like Genesis. It's not just we're saved because of the work of Christ. It is that, but it also means that he started something completely new. And that salvation, as it grows up in us and goes with us, as he goes with us throughout our lives, there is a new creation that goes forth into the environments that we enter. And we're going to press into that together. Um, So what does that mean? It means that because of the incarnation, because of what we're reading about here, because he took on flesh and bone, everything matters. Everything matters. Um, There's no separation between like religion and the rest of life or Sunday and Monday. Um, Gardening matters. Cooking matters. Distilling whiskey matters. Bet you didn't think I was going to say that one, did you? Engineering matters. Changing a diaper matters. Writing a brief or a sermon or a school paper matters. Throwing a baseball matters. Matter matters. This is one of the things that the incarnation tells us. He came to redeem, friends, all things. Everything but sin becomes worship because of the incarnation, or ought to. Let me put it like this. All that's not sin is sacred. All of our lives ought to become worship. This is just a, this is just a coming. This, isn't, this is a special time. This isn't a coming together, and this alone is worship, and this alone is holy. It's, it's God's people, sinners and saints alike, coming together in the name of Christ, dwelling on him, receiving his forgiveness, and going out into the world and spreading his new creation and worshiping because he's, that's what he's come to allow us to do in everything we do, in our nine to five, in our family life, in, in when we're in shops and when we're in um, whatever we're doing, changing a diaper, distilling whiskey, gardening, writing a paper, writing a brief. Um, so let me, let me um, and, and, and to finish that, and before we get to dwelt, let me just say this. One of the ways, so the incarnation tells us that, but even one of the ways that he lived, let me focus on that for 30 seconds. One of the ways that our God who became flesh lived it puts an exclamation point on the fact that everything matters and everything ought to be worshiped. You think about the fact that he came and had about 33 years on this earth, and how did he choose to spend about 25 of those years? As a, working with wood and stone. As a, most carpenters back then were stonemasons as well. Working with wood and stone. Working at a trade. Working at a trade. That's how our God and our creator who took on human flesh chose to spend the great majority of his life here on earth with us. And so he, he allows everything in our lives to be worship. And anything less is less than what he came and lived and died for and rose for. But let me press in now to the phrase after that. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word there, dwelt, he moved into the neighborhood, wonderful vernacular translation. In the Greek, it means he tabernacled. It's the same word. Uh, it's the word for tabernacle. He tabernacled, or another way to translate it, or pitched, literally, he pitched a tent which is what the tabernacle was. It was a movable building in the wilderness for 40 years and then for 400 years, really, before the temple was built. Um, He pitched a tent among us. Who was, what does this tell us? Who was the one who tabernacled with his people in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament for all those years, for all those centuries? Yahweh, the one God. What is John telling us? The same thing he told us in verse one. 
In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and he's come to dwell with us. And literally he says, in case you didn't get it, I'm telling you, this, he came to tabernacle with us. He is, what is the tabernacle? The tabernacle is the presence where God dwells with his people at peace because sacrifice of an innocent is made so that we, the guilty, can be in his presence. All that is wrapped up into this word, which means he came down to live with us and to bring God to us because he is God and to bring us up to God through his life and through his death in our place, living a life that we should live but can't before the Father of perfect obedience in our place in dying the death on the cross that we deserve instead of us so that we could live. And when we look to him, we are saved. We are hid in him and he comes and lives inside of us. All this is wrapped up. This is Yahweh, the one creator God. That is what John is telling us and it is just scandalous. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, con carne. Wow. And let me just press in. This seems like a bit of a sidestep, but as I was preparing for this, I just felt like maybe I should press in on this for a few seconds. And that is this. You've heard it a lot, but every one of us could stand to hear this every day and to preach this to ourselves every minute of every day and as often as we can to one another. And who knows that there's someone in here right now that needs this. But John is telling us that Jesus, he gets to this especially He says, Jesus shows us the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he goes on at the end of the prologue, the end of this first section in verse 18, John 1, 18. If you have a Bible, you can look at it. You don't have to. I'm not going to read it. But he tells us that no one has ever seen God, but this God, this only God, this logos, this word that put on flesh and bone, he what? He tells us, he reveals to us exactly what God is like. He shows us the beating heart of God the Father. The word there in the Greek is he exegetes God the Father. He unfolds and unpacks. It's like if God is a folded up flag and we can't see all the stuff, all the stars and the stripes and everything else that's on the flag. Is there a golden bear in there? What's happening? Is there a lone star? I'm not sure. We need the flag, we need the flag uh, broadcast, opened up so we can see exactly what's on it. And John, in John 1.18 says, Jesus is that flag of God himself unfolded so that we can see every crease. We can see every detail. He shows us exactly what God is like. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And he will do and has done everything to come after you and to bring you to himself. And that's his heart of love for you. I don't care what else you've been told, John says. I've been with him. I know him. I've seen him. And I saw him hanging on a cross. And this is the heart of God the Father for you. So I just want you to know, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul says the same thing with the different words. He says, in the face of Jesus Christ, we see the heart of God the Father for us. And then in Hebrews 1, 1, we we hear the same thing. All throughout the life of of Jesus and throughout the letters of the New Testament, we see this is who God is. I I just want to tell this to you. If you are sitting here this morning having a hard time feeling the affection of God for you, if you, you've heard this before, but if you close your eyes and you think of, okay, do it right now. You don't have to, but you don't have to close your eyes, but at least, at least concentrate. What is God, the Father, the one true God, who is utterly holy and just and perfect? What does he look like? What does his face look like as he looks at you, as he sees you right now? Is he pleased? Is he smiling? Or does he have a furrowed brow? 
because I'm telling you right now that he loves you so much and his heart so beats for you that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to do everything necessary for Jesus to bring you, friend, you, child, back to him, to put you in his lap and to be loved and embraced by him. Regardless of what you're going through, man, you might be in the pit right now and, and going through suffering and feeling like that's because God hates me. I'm just telling you right now, the way that you know how God loves you and cares for you and how much he wants to know you and to be known by you and to fill you up and to be your everything and for you to be his child is to look at Jesus and to look at what he's done for you. And we're gonna get more into that in a second. I just wanted to press into that a bit. And, and, and as, he, as, as John gets to sort of the latter part of this verse, he says, and he came to dwell among us and we have seen his glory. And I've touched on this a bit, but just to press on it, that word seen, seen can just mean, oh, I, I, I saw something pass by real quick, like the roadrunner. No, this word seen means to behold or to fix your gaze on. Um, to, to look at something intently and to fixate on it. John is saying, we fixated on Jesus Christ. And ultimately what he's saying is, he's pointing us toward how he's going to finish the gospel, which is how all the gospels finish. He was fixed to a tree, to a Roman instrument of torture, crucified on a stauros, on a cross, outside of the walls of Jerusalem, like a common criminal, between two criminals, and he chose that. And he and his sovereignty ordained it. And God the Father sent him, knowing he would be the go-between, between God and you. And he would pay the price. He was fixed to that tree. And John was there. John was so close that Jesus, lacking breath and pulling himself up on the spikes, was able to basically whisper in a cracked and hoarse voice, no doubt. Mom, his mom was right there too. This is your son. And John, this is now your mom. I'm leaving. But mom, I want you to be taken care of. Even on that cross, taking care of other people, thinking of other people. John was standing right there watching his savior die before him, thinking, watching his world crumble and crash apart and thinking, it's all over. Mission not accomplished, not realizing this is the plan of God to save him. And he was gonna rise three days later. And John is saying, we have seen his glory. We have fixed our eyes on his glory, full of grace and full of truth. And ultimately that comes to pointed expression in the cross. How did God choose to show us exactly what is like he was he's like in all of his excellence and in all of his power he chose something that even though it was prophesied for centuries before we still missed it john still missed it mary his mother still missed it they all missed it and that is he chose to show us his glory by allowing himself to be fixed onto a roman instrument of torture this shows us the humility and the love and the power of god because in being crucified he crucified you in all of your opposition to God. And he buried it, and he ended it. And the fact that he was raised three days later shows that the Father accepted that payment. So don't you dare look to Christ and be accepted by God in him and then try to clean yourself up in any other way. There is no performance left, friend. There is just acceptance. There is just living in light of his pleasure in Christ. There is just freedom. You're bought and paid for. You're clean. You're pure. Now just go out and live in light of that and abide in him. This is the glory, the grace and the truth, all the forgiveness but made possible by God showing this is how 
much, how far we are from God in and of ourselves and how much we needed someone to come and make a way for us to be with God again. This is what it took, this kind of payment. It's truth and it's grace at the same time and it's glorious. And so John's saying, I saw that. I saw the glory of God shine the brightest in his life, but especially in his death. And let me tell you, so how does he extrapolate? How do we extrapolate this, okay? Kind of, kind of running toward application as we sort of put these truths together. There's no place too dark. There's no place too low. There's no place too dirty. There's no place too sin-stained. There's no place too evil. There is no place too corrupted, and there is no place too perverse. I'm speaking about my own heart. I'm speaking about, perhaps as I say that, some of those words hit home with you if you're being honest and the Holy Spirit's pricking you in certain ways, that dark places you've been hiding, things you've been walking in, things that you've done in the past. We've all been there, okay? Uh, Maybe you're there right now, but also those around us. When we see someone's life fall apart in egregious sin or whatever, or they start to cave, in my flesh, I just wanna run the other way. But because of the incarnation, because he moved into our neighborhood and showed us his glory by being pinned to a cross and died in our place, what he is telling us is that we can now be, because we are identified in him and not in our own darkness, and he brings the light of God to us and sheds it abroad in our hearts, we can now run to those. And we, we are called to run to those places with others and to allow others that are in this community that we trust, that also know Jesus too, uh, like I kind of did a little bit of from the pulpit, hey, God convicted me of my control. I've got a lot of other stuff, guys, and I could, we could, I could sit here for the next two hours and tell you about it easily, okay? But we can open up and go, that stuff doesn't identify me anymore. You can go there because God already knows and he's already paid for it and he's in the process of cleaning me, okay? So we can allow others to go there. We can go there. He has gone there and wants you to open up with him and he wants you to go there with other people too. Like the firemen that don't run away from the fire, but they run toward it. That's, we're supposed to be like firemen running toward the brokenness and the darkness and the poverty, not just physical, but spiritual as well, okay? And the sin, because that's what God came for, is for sinners like you and me. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He came for the sick, that's what he specializes in, okay? He went there and he is the tabernacle of God and he is there and you, through what he's done and by his spirit, are also the tabernacle of God. Let me read this. Um, just as he is, is, the, is the presence of God with us, so we, because of what he's done, um, have his presence in us and are now called little tabernacles. Second Corinthians 6.16, this is one of many instances in the New Testament. Paul says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Where is the darkness? Where is the disease? Where is the poverty? Where is the evil? Where is the sin? Where is the shame? It is in those places that he calls us to pitch our tents and to dwell and to run to because that's where he pitched his among us. Right here in the darkness of my own heart, in the darkness of your heart, in the darkness of your neighbor or your coworker or whoever it is that God brings you across, okay? Um, Okay, so that said, we have just a few minutes to, I just want to sort of rapid fire kind of spray uh, some application from this concise but profound word about the very presence of God with us through his son as he dwelled with us and and, um, moved into our neighborhood. And so we too 
ought to be that kind of people, right? So let me, let me just extrapolate, and some of this will land on some of you, and some of it won't, and so this is just for us. Holy Spirit, would you put this on our hearts as, um, as, it's, as is appropriate? Our goal as a church is, one of our goals is center city saturation. So not to plant and not to be a presence first on the edges of town, but to be a presence in the city and to see the center of the city saturated, as I said at the beginning, with uh, church plants that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, glorifying him, um, following him, our master, our Lord, our savior, our brother, our redeemer, our king, our creator, and then filled with his spirit and going into the places he calls us to. So um, he, because he's moved into the neighborhood, we literally want to move into the neighborhood and into neighborhoods. We wanna see his presence through us um, cover our neighborhoods. There's a church planting um, trainer. He's planted about 40 churches in Austin and others as well that was talking to us this week. And he was saying about how like a lot of times we wanna plant around the edges of town because we can think that that can be an easier harvest or for whatever reason, um, the, the, the cities are full of more glory but also more, um, more vice because they're full of more people and all sorts of scary things. Um, and so he says, but our goal is to plant in the center, in the, in the center of the city. And I, and I just thought about how one of Sojourn's desires is to, is to partner with other churches to see Christ's kingdom expand in the center of town. And that's why we wanna live as a church, as a family in the area that God's put us and to share life together and to see that light grow for the glory of God in Christ, to see people come to him. Um, so for that, for a couple reasons, um, God... Uh, you've heard me say this before, but Keller got this from a friend. He said that God loves, he loves the country. He made all things and said they were good. He loves the country, but he loves the city more. God loves the city more than he loves the country. Why? It's kind of a syllogism because he loves, some of you could fill this in. He loves people more than he loves plants. He loves plants. He made plants, um, but he loves people more. He died for people. And when people are renewed, the plants are gonna get renewed too. Okay, creation is waiting, Romans 8, in eager longing for the redemption of the sons of men. And when our redemption is complete, all creation is gonna change. But that process is happening now in us and through us wherever we go, okay? So he loves the city more because that's where the people are. People are here, but it, people also make the city harder to be in, not to mention mortgages, right? Um, he also loves the city more because he loves the nations. He wants to reach not just people that look like us, and we're starting to look a little bit different, and that's good. We wanna look more and more different. We wanna look like, guys, we want to look like this area looks on both sides of Westheimer, okay? Um, he loves the nations, and the nations are in this city, in the city, but in this city in particular. Ezekiel 20, 37, 27, and 28, my dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 28, then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Isaiah 49, he says, it's too small a thing for me to send Messiah for Messiah just to reach Israel, my people. My people are to be a light put on a hill, shining broadcast. This is who I am. This is my mercy. This is my glory. This is how much I love you. This is how broken you are. And this is how far I've come down to dwell with you, to move into your neighborhood, to show you exactly what I'm like. And I will move heaven and earth to be with you. And for that to shine through my people Israel to the nations, through my church to the nations. What better place, I ask you, what better place than the most international city in the history of the world? Because we are a nation of immigrants and we are apparently, according to certain counts, the most or one of the most, anyway, New York's up there, LA is probably up there, international cities in this nation of immigrants. And we are in the century of the city 
For the first time in history, third reason God loves the city, for the, and we should too, for the first time in history, more people live in cities. For the first time in history, I want you to get this. More people live in cities than in the country. For the first time. The over 50% thing just tipped in the past few years, okay? This is where the people are. And the trajectory, kind of fourthly, other, other reasons for why we want to be in the city, the trajectory of all the scriptures is moving from a garden, that's where it started, in Genesis, to a city. That's where we end up in Revelation. So garden city is a good way to sort of, in two words, talk about the whole trajectory of scripture and therefore of history in a space and time. That's what we are moving to, and so this is where we want to be. Our goal is that the nations might know his name and bow the name. The nations are here. So if you reach a neighbor, you reach a nation. Um, I want to mention this from Acts and then just fire off a few more application points and we're done, okay? Um, the city amplifies. There's greater good here. All, not all, a lot of the major and the best universities in the world are in cities. They're think tanks. People rub up against each other and share life and we're in closer contact. And so you have a lot of great thinking going on. The best medical center in the world, one of them, right here. There's a reason it's in a city and not in the country. The best universities, and, and I could go on and on, but also you have greater graft, greater materialism, greater brokenness, greater vice, greater depravity. Think about Richmond. Think about Westheimer. Think about the sex parlors. Think about the uh, a prostitution out there on Bissonette, if you keep going on Hillcroft. Think about uh, the strip clubs. Um, and, and that's just one sort of area of sin. There's so much going on, right? Um, but there's greater good and there's greater evil. Paul, to shift a little bit for the text, when he's, um, when Paul the apostle, in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, when he makes it to Athens, he comes to a center point in the city. And in verse 16, it says that he sees the city and he's surrounded by all these idols and all these altars to these gods. They have so many altars that they even have one to an unknown God, just in case they missed one. And he uses that and says, that unknown God I want to preach to you. But it says that his spirit is what? Provoked within him as he sees the city and its lostness. And through that provocation, he comes and he's fired up to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The word in the Greek there is the word that we get our English word paroxysm. If you're having a paroxysm, you're just, it's almost shaking you. It's like he's shaking, he's in tumult on the inside. And I wanna ask you this morning, in the city, do we know the city? Do we love the city? Are we in the city? And through our love and because of our love for the city, are we provoked almost to paroxysm as it is for the state of our neighbors and of the city around us here, especially in this Galleria area, are we provoked? Is the materialism does the, does the, the, the over-sexed culture, does the brokenness behind these beautiful manicured lawns, behind walls, does the brokenness within your own heart, does it provoke you? It did Paul. And then in verse 26 of Acts 17, it says this. Paul says in his, in his sermon, he says, and he made, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. I wanna pause here and just say this to you. Do you believe that verse? Because Paul right here is telling us something profound. He has determined and allotted your very place where you work, where you live, every single thing about your life. He's put you exactly where he wants you, around the lost people that he wants you around. He's determined and fixed that so that, here's the thing, how do we know, how can they know 
that God is among them, that God is dwelling with them, that God has moved into their neighborhood? Because you're there. God is everywhere, yes, by his spirit. He's not limited to your presence, but you are a tabernacle of the living God. You are his temple, and where you go, he goes. And he wants your neighbors and your coworkers and those that you interact with to know him and to see his glory because he's placed you exactly where he wants you. And I just wanna ask this to all of us because my time is about up and I have way too much application and maybe some of it will come next week. I'll finish with a few points, but I'm basically done. This is our stewardship. This is the geography God has given to us. We wanna take it through prayer. We wanna take it through presence. We wanna take it by sharing life together and for the world seeing how we love one another. We wanna take it by going into the darkness of our neighbors and our coworkers and opening our own selves. I'm saying it's not by behavior. He saved me because of the sinner that I am. He came for sinners. Let me, that can be a witness right there. Let me share with you. It's not behaviorism, friend. The gospel means I'm a wretch in and of myself and he loved me. He loved me to death and gave his life for me. And so I just wanna share that with you. Um, how are we stewarding? the stewardship that God has given to us? How are we owning and taking the geography that he's moved us into and already given into our hands, but we have to go take it? Are we taking it? Are we praying heaven down? And we are, and I'm starting to see our, I'm not saying all this because I don't see it. I'm saying this because I see it and I wanna see more and it's coming out of the word of God and he's called us here to be a presence, to dwell with this people because he dwells with us and to tabernacle with them because he is tabernacling in us. Um, and uh, I'll close with this. So many different application points that I'm gonna not end with. Um, but I'll close with this. I heard Matt Chandler speak out in the country, oddly, um, two nights ago, and uh, out in the Texas ranch. And he was talking about this, and he was saying something that I just never thought of it in this way before, and, I, and I'll in with this and hope that it helps you like it's helped me. And I, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, would just, that you would just massage this into our hearts and our bodies and our lives and the way that we live so that we could become a witnessing, joyful, peace-filled, tabernacling people, that your presence just, just falls out of us onto others and splashes around us. But here's the thing he said. He's like, you know those connectors in your life where and some of you are those people. I know some of you are those people and I know that I don't know all of you and you, you're probably this person, but you're a connector and you're like, you're always going, I know this dude or this girl you have to meet and you're just constantly connecting people. He's awesome, you're so cool. I see all have this common interest. I love people like that. I'm like 10% that. I wanna be 100% that, but I'm really not. Um, but he says, do we, do we think about sharing the gospel, the wonderful, scandalous news of the fact that God has moved into our neighborhood and become one of us and made a way for us to be with God. Do we think about it like that? And here's my question. Do we know him well enough to recommend him with, with everything we have to someone else? And do we, are we involved enough and invested enough in other people's lives, in their brokenness, in their normal everyday humdrum? Have we had them into our houses, into our hearts? Have we walked alongside of them enough to be able to say, and I know you, and man, let me tell you, there is this guy you've got to meet. He, he has all the power. He has riches beyond anything you could possibly imagine. He's the kindest, most gentle, most wonderful, most soul-satisfying person. He's always thinking about other people. 
(laughs) And let me tell you how much he loves you. He came down and gave everything for you. His name is Jesus. You guys have to meet. You really need to meet. Is this the way that we're loving God to know him like this? Is this the way that we're loving our neighbor? Is, is, this, is this our presence in this place? I, want it, I see that it is. I want to move into it more. And I know that we will, by the grace of God. Holy Spirit, would you do it? Would you glorify Jesus? Use us, your tabernacling presence. Amen.